I already know we're going to go off on tangents. You know how we are. And without a guest to like control us, we're just going to ramble over and over. Bless up, Stephen, our producer who has to cut deal with two Italians. <laughs> Shout out to Stephen. Oh my God. Two Italians tackle 2019. <laughs> Winter time in the LBC. Ooh. I started a doc for our conversation while we were at lunch just now. We were eating at Portuguese Bend. Deliciousness. Yeah, thanks for recommending the $20 salad. <laughs> Rude. I was like, what salad should I get? He's like, I oh. get it during lunch and it is not $20. We got it during lunch it, it, and it is because it adds to add the salmon, it's eight bucks. That's why. It's a $12 salad and then $8 to add the salmon. I'm saying it wasn't worth it. It was very good. Just saying. Pricey. Well, yeah, we are going to talk about pricey things because there's someone in this town that's selling a $101 gold acai bowl. <clears throat> so we got to talk about that because. This is the year in review episode. Hooray! 2019, baby. What a year. What a year. What a year for everything. So 2019, crazy banner year. Kind of the, actually, this is the year that um, all of the, well, the first of the new buildings and the new structures that have space in the bottom have really been open and kind of full throttle, like having the current, because the current was the first. The current was the first of the new buildings to be permitted and allowed to build. So they were the first ones to open and there's been some changes there, but we also just, which changes, the landscape is changing. And we were just walking by on the way back to the office and watching acres of books get torn down and finished getting torn down. I know, it's such a mix of emotions I, watching that Well, yeah, 2019 is like totally the year of changes. The last few years we've felt them coming and there's been some closures and stuff, but this was really- uh, Well, I feel like this year it was tangible, right? Yeah. Like it was like- Anyone who's been in the, like the news world, like the whole concept of gentrification and development, especially in LA, a place that historically has remained stagnant in development for decades, is suddenly seeing what we perceive to be a development boom. And now I think it's like the time where we've been talking, 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 all these projects get entitled. And now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's it's happening. Like now you can see the physical incarnation of these decisions that have been made over the past like eight, nine, 10 years. Well, yeah, 15, 20 years, even yeah. if you talk about loosening the laws yeah, up. Yeah. Well, and well, I like that you bring up LA because in LA, the, the development seems like really just a forward momentum, like straight forward. Like there's no going backwards, there's no kind of fits and starts. But what we've seen in Long Beach and what we've kind of talked about before the, the microphones went on were having these closures and, and closures of new businesses that have come in since that boom started. Like, Two years ago, we've, I mean, Burgerim just shut down kind of unexpectedly in the last week. Oh, yeah. It's been like a total mix. It's been like classic places. And the the reason they've been closing have been all over the place. That's what I've been trying to like, I want people to understand. Like, even I wanted to go in with the whole concept of like, this is greedy, evil landlords raising rents. And that did happen for some places. But across the board, it was it was kind of all over the place. Right. A lot of it was bad operators, mm-hmm. bad entrepreneurs, bad, bad concepts that bad people don't business want. business ideas. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was kind of all over the place in terms. So, and then some people, the ones I think we really forget about, they just want to retire. Yeah. You know, There's been like a, they what just. What are examples of that? Papalucci. There you go. You know, like we're, they're just tired. Babette's Feast. We're just tired. Like, we're cool. We've been here for you know three decades. Like we're good to go. And then there's just some though um, that are you know far more the tale of of a changing Long Beach. You know when I 
when I talked to the owners of the milk barn, so the milk barn for listeners who don't know, for 36 years since 1983 was a milk drive-through grocery store. Since 1883 or 1983? 1983. Oh, because before that, wasn't it? I mean, that's like the era of Well, I'm assuming the current owners were 1983. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they ran it has this, you know, drive-through milk store and grocer that was, you know, common back in the day. And then they saw this unused space in the back and turned it into this total straightforward Italian-American food, like grab your pizza slices, get your meatballs, Mm. stuff like that. Um, That pizza always reminded me of like the pizza at Skateland, like when you get a skate, when someone does like a skating birthday party and it's just so greasy, like no amount of napkins could soak it up. Right. In a good way. Oh, yeah, in an awesome (laughs) way. And then what's funny is that And the reason why I bring him up specifically is that there are people who want to keep going. And so, like, this guy in, I think, like, 2000... This is the owner of Milk Bar? Yeah. um, Forgive me, listeners. I don't even have the piece in front of me. Um, Basically, about a decade ago, roughly, Mm -hmm. uh, he decided he needed to keep up with the times. So he went up to San Francisco. He went to a pizza school, um, learned about what being a pizziola is, different types of dough, um, he started his own starter. He has a sourdough starter that he's been using for seven years now. It's the dough that would do his Sicilian square pizza. And so what I loved about this story was like, damn, dude, like after 20 plus years of of serving and being successful, you still wanted to know more and you still wanted to do more. And you wanted to like, you wanted to stay there. You didn't want to leave. Those are the stories that break my heart the most are the ones who like, they have no choice. They have no choice. I just wrote a piece, it'll go up tomorrow, about the AIDS assistance thrift store. Like, you want to talk about something just pure evil, he gets a notice, here's your lease renewal, your rent will go up from $3,300 a month to $9,000. That's on 4th you, Street in yeah. Retro Row, I mean. Oh, right next to the center. So, yeah. you know, they've been, basically, for those who don't know, they provide clothes and household items, et cetera, to people living with HIV and AIDS. And in fact, if you're part of like St. Mary's care program, or you could even go to the health department um, if you're HIV positive and you can't afford certain things, and they'll give you vouchers to take to the store. And they've helped with everything from clothes to household items to way bigger stuff, eyeglass subscriptions, funeral and cremation services, if you're hitting that part of the road. So can't wait for the hot chicken spot that's going to open in its place, Brian. <laughs> and I think the saddest part about this whole thing was like, Clearly what the landlord was doing was illegal, right? So mm-hmm. what the landlord did was send him this notice and said, you need to get, you need to respond in a week. Well, clearly the store owner, Danny Johnson, knew, like, you don't know the law. Um, hey, it's 10% that you can raise it. Otherwise, we need significant notice. I'm willing to actually take the 10%. Like, let's talk. And then they just got an eviction notice. Literally, just like a letter from a lawyer saying get out. So he went to Basta and for tenants out there, business, both business and residential, Basta is a nonprofit um, off of Broadway that you can go to and get some legal advice if you're uh, concerned about the way you're being treated as a tenant. But he went there and their lawyers were like, this isn't worth battling. That's got to be heart-wrenching. Like, yeah, they broke the law. They're totally doing something wrong, but you're not this is going to drain you of your resources, your time, your energy, and your hope in life. Well, that's what they, that's what they hope for, like the, all the slap suits and stuff. Well, mm. and you're mentioning like the mix of different, of the reasons for these different closures, because we're starting with closures. We'll move into positive stuff, I promise. <laughs> but yeah. you were, but you're mentioning a couple places like in Belmont Shore, which as a neighborhood, I mean, no, almost more changed than downtown in some ways. The downtown's changing a lot more with the built environment, but as far as 
like old place, older places closing, new concepts coming in, and the variety of reasons for these closures. Like Belmont Shore is such a crazy cross section. Like you mentioned Papalucci's, but we um, Acapulco Inn closed this year, right? Was that earlier this year? Oh yeah, Acapulco Inn was last year, but on the tail end. Yeah, you have Tavern on Two, which just had Lashers, Lashers, uh, the Spot Cafe. You know, it's just a constant change over there, and it's funny. Actually, by the time this goes up. My best restaurants list should be published. I'm not going to give details right now, but like I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that Nick's is on there. And it's funny because I would have never typically picked Nick's just because Nick's is consistent, right? And it's great. And it never, but it, it was just like one of those, just like an American restaurant, a classic, straightforward, middle, middle range American restaurant. And because of the shift in Belmont Shore, it made me reapproach Nick's and like, oh my God, like for Belmont Shores residents, Nick's is so comforting because of its stability and its consistency. Totally. And how that must feel for them. And no wonder why they get upset when people say that Nick's is boring or that Nick's no. Nick's is a consistently good food house. Well, a great, and at this point, a in a time restaurant. of in a time of change, what's better than stability? And what's better Who can than you, you rely know? on and but like yeah. who's next on the it's chopping like, block for you Belmont know, Shore? You want your fried devil eggs and your butter cake and Nick's serves that and it must provide some sense of both comfort and like, okay, we're we're all kind of all in this together. And it really it's cool because it really made me shift my idea of even what a best quote unquote restaurant is because environment it you know counts for so much. And yeah. Uh, you know, holding a place in a neighborhood is really important regardless, you know, not, it's not just about the food and you know that obviously, no, but, yeah. but uh, the role that it can hold in a, in a neighborhood. I find it interesting though, cause Simsy's has also been there kind of around the same amount of time or well, Nick's maybe a few years more, but another neighborhood spot, but that doesn't really have that kind of connection with its community as much. I wonder. And isn't that interesting? But and there's still a little chain kind of And I don't know why. Places. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because of who they replaced. So it replaced Shoreline. Um, yeah, Shoreline Castle. Shore House, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know why the, I was saying where Shoreline. Where the projectile vomit was everywhere oh. after 2 a.m. And that <laughs> super sad fish tank, which you didn't realize fish were in because it was so dark and so oh, grimy. Like, and then you would just see this motion, and it's like, oh, my God, this poor thing lives in that. And like, <laughs> as, a former, as a former graveyard shift diner waitress, I can attest that. The Shore House was a shit show. <laughs> you know, and, and it was it was one of the few options open 24-7. Yeah. And Simsy's was such the antithesis of that in mm -hmm. so many ways and capacities. Here was this open-air concept with 20 craft beer taps, definitively more elevated menu, a more pricey menu. Um, and in the Shore, the cafe options were limited, and that was one of the few places beforehand that was affordable and accessible all the time. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that's just why it didn't click, but... Every time I go back, you know, I have family who loves it because they love the layout. They love the menu. And it is consistently crowded. Like, mm -hmm. there's definitely... It clicks. The shore, yeah, the shore has, like, places where they have consistent crowds. But it's it's so different now. Like, it's... I mean, even from when the post was in Belmont Shore, you know that. Like... Oh, yeah. It's just a different vibe. Yeah, totally. Well, that might be a good transition to also talking about maybe openings because one of the craziest openings of the year is in Belmont Shore, the, um, the high-end Korean restaurant. Right? With the tasting menu. Which I still haven't been to. Have you? No, I haven't. I've been trying to go for lunch because it seems mildly so, more affordable. Like $60. For, yeah. But I could justify it perhaps without a special occasion for it. So I'm not sure. So if anyone has actually gone and uh, can attest to, to it. I've talked to a few people. And like the funny thing is, is that 
I really want it to succeed, and I don't want it to succeed because it's expensive. So before people are like, "Yeah, there's Brian, like I want another like you know restaurant that screws over affordability." No, like it's the first taster menu restaurant, and that's a big thing in any food scene. It's an important shift where there's a confidence in both consumers and the people creating food that there's a place where you trust the person you're going to, albeit. You know, the chef comes, uh, I, I think last say, he was yeah. in Pennsylvania. I mean, how do we trust brought, this person? <laughs> yeah, and he largely brought a huge amount of his previous menu here. But it does speak volumes about our food scene and the fact that someone even feels comfortable opening up a taster menu restaurant. That's... But whether or not it will survive. Oh, yeah. Because as we've, as we've been talking... $100 well, without wine pairings? Whew. Yeah. And kind of what we talked about, like with Burger Inn closing, you know, you have a... Con- and not that that's an original concept because they're everywhere too, but... You have something that they think would work in downtown and they're confident in it. They have the money to invest in that and it just doesn't click. And that's happened before here. And we see that happening, especially as people are, you know, we're a prospect. People are looking at us and and you have those early adopters that are like willing to take chances on us by opening those kinds of places. But I would be interested if it's worth, especially with all the other change ups around it, if, um, you know, if it's able to be a destination, because that's the only way that's going to survive. Long Beach hasn't been trained on a tasting menu. And without a chef, like talking to Chef Art last week was you know, inspiring because I'd been, we've been, we've both been interviewing him for years about his emphasis on education and on bringing people in and hospitality and kind of training. He's been very focused on training palates to get to this point. And for a tasting menu to kind of come in out of nowhere with- And training outside restaurateurs to adapt to Long Beach's palate where it's at. Right. So when he was talking about, you know, the steakhouse, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, the people I'm working with are these Palm Springers who are there in this very elevated food scene and they want this like mid-century steakhouse but they concept. they own Round and Third next door. Yes, which is way more so casual, but they, they wanted to bring experience. this steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and you know, Tailoring Chef Art concept. was like, yeah, you're going to have to have a meat in the middle type thing. Well, and that's a good way to talk about, I mean, another big opening was Bamboo Club, which kind of burned and busted as a as a food destination <laughs> almost already. R.I.P. I'm already so bummed about I, I mean, that. it's open. It's open. So go for the cocktails. But it, but Chef Melissa is not there anymore. But that was another kind of experiment in that where you and luckily she lives here, so she understands. But she definitely got slapped in the face with a reality check of sort of what Long Beach is ready for. And now she's at the stash and she's you know selling hundreds bar food, but like selling hundreds of wings. She's like, ah, yes, this is the life now. Like <laughs> everyone just wants wings on game day, and but that is kind of what Long Beach wants still in some cases. So yeah, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on um, to to see if. Long Beach steps up and acknowledge and like under, understands what a tasting menu is and comes around to it, or they're really going to have to be a destination because those are your only two well, options. And there's other ways that we're we're going to be challenged with this building landscape thing we kind of have going on right yeah. now. Like like you said, so there's all these developments and all this ground floor is starting to open up. Mm-hmm. And you know, Portola signed Portola Coffee, which already has a location at. The Hangar. Also open this year. Yep. They're doing a downtown location at the Amley Broadway complex right. at Pacific and Broadway. And it was kind of interesting when I first heard about it. It was like, man, did, did, they, did they look around? Like, I mean, if you're talking downtown, it's, for me, it's coffee saturation. Not to a bad point, but holy hell, I mean... Cabinet, cup of cup, a recreational. Yeah, but Portola's I, got the name, and they're—I mean—they're they're the best roaster in Orange is, County. And this is when it hit me. They didn't—they didn't, they didn't want to look. They. This is an ex, an experiment with their name, with their brand, and mm-hmm. it's going to be fascinating to see, like, if it's going to, you know, 
thrive or burn. We'll see, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. That kind of reminds me of, I, I always think of Jane Jacobs when cities change over and there's new development uh, and stuff. Yeah. I, I love Jane Jacobs. Hey, Jane. <laughs> RIP, <laughs> but uh, more, more Jane Jacobs, less Mark Jacobs. Yes. Uh, but she always had, she had a saying about new ideas happen in old buildings. And as I see all these new buildings coming up, I, I keep thinking of that, that we're, there's no way in a new building with the price points that they need to charge to get those ground floors filled to make their money back you're not going to get an unproven concept in there. Like it must- You're not going to get experimentation. It must have succeeded in some other capacity before, you know? Um, I mean, maybe one exception to that would be another really recent opening at the bottom of the current, uh, um, a man that you had the pleasure of engaging with. Uh, that was a story that went up this week as well. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about that place. What was it called? Uh, be More? Be More Protein Pub. Uh-huh. Um, and, <laughs> and, and you know what this, it's okay. So it's- and. I actually didn't publish the piece. Honestly, I just got too busy. But I had a piece on the back end that was called The Struggles of Writing About a Person Naive to Unhinged Capitalism But Still Goodwilled, right? Like the idea of meeting really well-intentioned and good-hearted people who are entirely removed from the realities around them. And like, one of so this guy, you guys, um, he came from ah, Miami. Privilege. Uh, he's a Brazilian, <laughs> a Brazilian immigrant from Florida. His uh, last business, the Be More Cafe, um, was annihilated by Hurricane Irma, and they got tired by that point. It had been, you know, their third hurricane over the course of their. Are they their, climate change refugees? I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> and they just wanted a different form of environmental stability, so they moved out here and they opened up this place and. It is, it's definitely has a fitness focus. Um, he used to be obese and depressed. So he has a story about discovering fitness and getting out of depression. Uh, he has a wife and kids. He conveniently lives in the current, which is a luxury tower at Ocean Alamitos, where his business is. So on the bottom floor is his business and eight stories above that, he conveniently lives there. And it's this smoothie sandwich wrap kind of place. And what stuck out for me when I saw it was that they had $101 options. It's actually a menu, part of his menu called the 101. And it's $101 cup of coffee, Kopi Luwak, the, the coffee that animals are forced to eat and then Like the civet poop coffee, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the they weasel, collect. weasel poop coffee. Uh, <laughs> with, with 24 karat gold sprinkled on it. It's poop not edible. They gold. call it edible. But our bodies don't process gold, people, so there's no benefit. It's literally for the pure luxury, which is what kind of makes it even more disturbing. And so I, I wanted, I'm, I, I'll be fully honest, I wanted to write this vicious article just annihilating this guy. Like, but, you know, being in our business, you can't just do that. You have, you have, to, you have to talk to them. Yeah, hear him out. And so I called him, and I think he could sense, I'm, I'm really not joking, my combativeness and he, you were probably like, yo, what's up? Oh, yeah. I was just <laughs> so like, I have to ask you about this? this. Yeah. And then he was like, you know what? I would really just like to meet you face to face. Do you have time to stop down? And I said, sure. So That's I brought real. Thomas and we went and the guy has a heart of gold, people. But here's and this is where I mean naive to their surroundings. You know, so he talked about like wanting to build this foundation that he could assist with the homeless and he would drive around with a truck that had a giant water tank and would provide free showers and new clothes for the homeless, right? And like, here's where I say, like, he meets the wall of naivete, so to speak. 
instead of thinking like, oh, all these homeless around here, this isn't a part of the way our system operates, that this isn't a systemic fail, that if he just got more money, he could help begin to solve this problem. And those type of people always dishearten me the most because it's like, I see that you have a heart of gold, dude. I see that you're in the right place, but you think capitalism is going to solve capitalism's problems. And it's just so difficult to write about those kind of people. And I felt like I gave him a fair, I felt like I was fair toward him. I let him use his own words. I tried not to downsize him or degrade him. But in the end, you just see a really blatant naivete filled with toxic positivity where a gap, a gap of, between yeah, reality and what's a, where whatever's all it in his is brain. Like, you know, you guys just gotta, you know, like he literally talked, he compared a Corolla to a Porsche and was like, you know, like all you gotta do is just save and work on that credit score and you're gonna get the Porsche. And it's like, that's not a reality Ooh. for 99.9% literally of the humans on earth. Like n- none of them, none of them will ever own a Porsche despite how much they save up. Well, maybe, maybe we'll be talking about a closure <laughs> eventually. I do. I mean, I hope it survives. I don't ever want any business to not to not happen. No, but if, what if are you offering and for here, who? Yeah. You know, and when we were there, and of course, you know, it's the current. It was all current residents coming well, down. Yeah, getting, in that case, if you can create the smoothies. community around it, like we were yeah. saying with Nick's on second, if you're serving if you're serving the people that live right above you or live in the blocks or two around, which now in the last two years are people with that can afford that kind of stuff or have higher incomes. But like, well, we were talking to Dennis about this earlier too, and he was saying it's sort of that shock food, like you're willing to pay a premium, you know, so you can put it on Instagram or so that you can just say like, I ate a sam a gold flaked salmon crusted burger. Like oh, I did that. We, we have to talk about this like Instagram food culture thing. I was talking to a friend who's a restaurateur and I asked them their opinion on influencers. And they were like, it's just part of the nature now. Like you, you just get used to it. And apparently they had this chick come up and be like, hey, I have 70,000 followers, basically hook me up. So they give her this array of food and she's like, do you have anything like cheesy, like cheese? Oh, for the that cheese pull, hashtag that, cheese that, pull. Yeah, that will do the pull. And they were like, no. And she's like, okay, well, I'll work with this. And so she just snaps, snaps, snaps. And it's like, okay, well, thank you. And she didn't eat the anything. owner was like, what? And she's like, oh, I don't eat anything. <laughs> I don't eat anything. Right. And it infuriated me on so many levels. Like Aww. A- that she's not sharing food that she enjoys at all because she never even tastes it. It's simply because she has a lot of followers. And B, she's just wasting food, which is so infuriating for someone who cares about food deserts and starvation and the fact that we still have an unfed huge portion of the American population is not properly fed. But we do eat with our eyes. And that's, uh, I, I'm, I am thankful for as far as the fact that in Long Beach that that's not usually the case, like yes. n- uh, that the city itself doesn't, they go around and try new places mainly on word of mouth and maybe based on what you or I write. But I would say that after writing for years about Orange County, I definitely noticed that Orange County has a larger reliance on the Instagram influ- the food Instagram influencers uh, to tell them where to go. And maybe that's a, because of it's, it's kind of a news desert, especially RIP, OC Weekly, um, which we haven't had a chance to talk about on oh, here. But God. losing that food section, which was just another voice, they had, a, I mean, Long Beach Lunch continued on after I stopped writing it uh, last year. So... They, is it Aaron DeWitt? Is yes, that who's Aaron taking- DeWitt was still covering that. So they still had, they were another voice here. But I mean, I always felt like my role in, in covering Orange County was to insert storytelling and exactly that, like what is the food actually taste like? Because so much of the food media, let's say broadly in Orange County is based on Instagram and is based on in- Instagram influencers. I mean, think of the dessert craze with afters and everything. Those guys learned how, the, I mean, the style of taking food or what's photos. That? Is it the unicorn burger? 
Oh, that yeah. really disturbing that has like yeah, the they, marshmallows from Lucky Charms and, and stuff a rainbow, on and it. And it's on like a <laughs> rainbow bun. And yeah, they <laughs> opened one at Fourth Street Market finally. It's like a $22 burger with that's like dripping, gooping with stuff. Yeah, that's the best. I mean, that's the biggest, that's sort of the pinnacle example of it. That's like the height of it. Like there's nowhere else to go from there except the $22 unicorn yeah, burger. Like, do people actually eat it? Or is it just for the picture, I've right? Really, I haven't seen anyone actually take a bite. <laughs> Unless they're taking a bite for a picture, yeah. but I'm also not sitting around lear- like watching as people order and eat. And I understand why that developed in a place like Orange County because you have to get in your car and go to a destination because of it, because of you know the coding and stuff that there's residents residential is here and businesses are here, so they don't have as much of an integrated city like we do, where you, where like we're talking about, there's businesses on the bottom floor of apartment complexes yeah, or even walkability, and then walk you know? yeah you can walk half a block and there's businesses down the street. So I understand the nature of Orange County opening up or or being built as a suburban and sort of environment. And now you have an urbanization of a suburban environment because it's crowded and there's more people and diversity of class over there. Um, But you just have people that have to get in their car and go somewhere. So how else are you supposed to know where to go if there's no newspapers really covering it, you know, at least not consistently or everything? There's no way that the OC Weekly or even Brad Johnson at the OC Register could cover it all. So of course you're going to rely on Instagram and the followers that you trust or or the influencers that you trust like Food with Michaels like probably one of the biggest ones. Now he owns restaurants. So he owns Churro Hall, he owns um the Loop Churros and he opened a bunch of things that are ba- basically Instagram based. So you have influencers in Orange County specifically that started opening to- up Instagram centric restaurants. Yeah, like spaces. they're not chefs or anything. I mean that's what Afters started as and Andy Wynn and 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 his um and his partners too like they were they owned a lifestyle brand before they're aware of aesthetics but they now they understand the aesthetics of food you know they didn't come up with the ice cream recipe they bought it from a friend a Vietnamese friend who owned an ice cream shop they bought his ice cream shop and the recipes and that's how Afters started so I never knew about that yeah and that makes so much sense now uh-huh. looking at it well, yeah, and I did. A, I did a profile for um, of him for the LA Times last year, maybe a year and a half ago. And when he invented, quote unquote, invented the sushi donut, which is just a sushi fashioned into a donut shape, it's not sweet at all. It's really just like a roll, a hand roll, or a, sorry, like a regular cut roll. But instead of cut of being cut and being in a log, it's folded around into a circle. So, yeah, so it looks like a donut, but it's sushi, and you kind of put the sushi on top like a rainbow roll or something. And so he said he saw it on, he travels to Taiwan and to to East Asia a lot where there are a lot of food trends out there. So he picks that kind of stuff up and brings it back all the time. So I I am thankful because I know in Long Beach, at least that people are actually going out to places like the story that you mentioned that set, set me off on that is in the minority of the way, like somebody going, an influencer going into a Long Beach restaurant, asking for food, not eating it, taking photos and promoting it. That's like a new thing. I would say that's another new thing that happened this year. Um, well, influencers in general coming into Long Beach right, for people food. People outside of Long Beach coming here as a destination and making a weekend out of it. I think even the LA Times is significantly altered. I mean, yeah, this year alone. But that's Patricia just being awesome. Oh, yeah, that's and <laughs> shout out to Pat- Patricia Scarcega. Like she's really bounced over that barrier and comfortably. And by the way, and she's also going into OC. She's done yeah. some great Anaheim spots. Like. And then even when she was gone, you know, she sends Gustavo to Ellie's. So, you know, mm-hmm. Ellie's, Amorcito, Playa, like these places. But place- that's where her interests are in general. She's not come, she's not parachuting in because she like heard about Long Beach no. is the new. And I've heard this this year, definitely, I've heard that Long Beach is the next Venice, which I'm sure has been touted on the developer paperwork forever. Um, but having a best friend who moved down from Venice to live here is, 
It makes that hit very close to home. And then this year, I also noticed that on Airbnb, that when people are trying to look for Long Beach um, places to stay in Long Beach, someone told me that it calls it Urban Orange County. And I think I've mentioned that before on this podcast, but that, but the reframing of Long Beach as a destination and as a place to go check out, that's definitely happened in the last few years. Like yes. the word has gotten out like, oh, there's certain neighborhoods that are safe. You can go. Oh. Neighborhoods that are great. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. I that mean, we've always known as great, but now, and, and things like Airbnb frighten me. Mm-hmm. Not only because like, so I grew up in Big Bear and every time we go up, Airbnb has completely shifted the landscape of Big Bear. Like, for both good and bad, uh, we went to Copper Q. It's a coffee shop we go up, you know, in there whenever we're up there. And, you know, I was just asking her, like, God, I've never seen so many vacation rental signs, like big signs that let people know, like, this is an Airbnb or vacation rental. And she was like, you know, business has never been better, though. Like, mm-hmm. our weekends are now packed. So it's interesting that it's brought this whole different economy now that's shifting. But that's great for places like Big Bear. And the reason why I'm happy for it for Big Bear is because Big Bear's a resort town. Hello. Like, yeah. there's only a handful of people who actually live up there year round. You know, it's a small population. It depends on that tourist economy. Why I'm scared with a place like Long Beach is that Long Beach and LA are in housing shortages. And so these short term rentals that are taking up what could be actual leases for people to stay in frightens me. Forget the out of the extra out of towners. Like the fact is that we are a regional destination now and that people are coming here on like they're making a Saturday out of it or a Sunday out of it now in a way that I don't think that they ever did before because now there is a place to go eat, a destination spot. There is a, a stores to go shop at. You can park in downtown for free for three hours or yeah, three hours in the downtown lots and walk and wander around and try all these new places. But on the destination tip and maybe a little bit more about openings, um, some super positive openings. The fact that Chinitos was able to open another shout out to Patricia Uh for shouting that out. Fourth Horseman, obviously amazing pizza, heavy metal pizza, Um, Casa de Chaskis. So these locals kind of getting their own, having their say, right? Fourth Horseman is, they've worked in the, the owners have worked in the service industry here forever. Chinito, he's um, Beeline, has worked in service and is a Long Beach native. Uh, same thing with Casa de Chaskis, owned by another local who's kind of put his time in as a chef at other places. Now what gets a to great own. time like for me to be writing about food. And I can actually talk about multiple Peruvian restaurants. Like what a <laughs> what a great niche to actually not just constantly talk about El Pollo Imperial. And I know some people like Ahi, but like to see a place like Chaskis come in, it's awesome and it's heartwarming. And his food is so on point and excellent. And he's on the west side. And he's on the west side. It's just a Thank beauty. Thank you for bringing something to South, South Santa Fe too. Yes. Because there's a lot of, there, not a lot, but there is More. stuff up on Willow and he's south of PCH. So yeah. it's nice to see something kind of closer down into the port there. Just that, a wonderful space too. Um, well, maybe that brings us on to trends. You said it's really nice to to not be writing about or to be writing about more Peruvian places, but, but I don't want to write about ramen anymore. That's yeah, for or sure. another natural hot chicken place. <laughs> so we've definitely like had our fair share of trends this year too. Uh, food trends that maybe I guess may, might tie in with Instagram. So maybe the maybe Instagram does have an influence here well, in know, a way think, that we don't pay attention to 100. percent I think one of the spaces that kind of speaks volumes of this whole thing was Tokyo Guild, right? So. Mm. This joint opened up in, in Bixby Knolls. Um, it was from the guy behind Japonica um, over in Marina del Rey, and he wanted to open up Ramen Guild. Now, mind you, folks, 
had he have opened this in Bixby Knowles, there would be Ramen Hub. There would be the Ramen Joint Inside Steelcraft. There would be Hiro Nori. Mm-hmm. And then there would be Ramen Guild. Oh, all and the Bamboo within, Terry House. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all within about a quarter of a mile. Like, and he changed his concept last minute. He went from Ramen Guild to Tokyo Guild, but still served ramen. And he's closed now. I didn't write about it because a new person's already signing the lease. So I'm just going to give them the spotlight. But like, just like Burger Eam, and other places closing, like, look at what's around you. Like, I find it I find it fascinating that so few people don't do market research. I'm just being or frank. Or maybe like, they do. Just, I mean, maybe they do, and then and they say we're better. maybe it's an elevated level, or, or they're better. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they think, like, you know? oh, it doesn't matter. Like, we can do, like, our burger, like, maybe at Burger Eam, like, our burgers are better than what Doghouse offers, what Congregation offers, what Beachwood offers. But, but again, without thinking about or knowing or understanding possibly the the neighborhood or the the fact that in Long Beach you got to be present as an owner, we're really averse to change. I think that's kind of been a lesson with some mm-hmm. of these recent closures is like that we still, even in our downtown area, we th- we crave small businesses. So even though even if it's a locally owned franchise, we still see that there's burgerims everywhere, and maybe you know not as. Not as interested in like partaking. Well, and just a block away from Burger Eam, I have to bring this one up. I, <laughs> I still, Burger Daddy? I still have no Burger Daddy's great. Oh. The Crab Shack. Okay, so oh, yeah. so follow me. Follow me here, <laughs> listeners. Okay, follow me. All right. If this was a visual podcast, we'd have a map right so, now to show so, you. So two Pokey Cats opened about two years ago. I would say roughly, right, a couple years ago, simultaneously. One at the Current and one at the Promenade North at Third, which is about a half mile away. That promenade location just closed for obvious reasons. And (laughs) in its place is a crab shack that has a crab shack location a half a mile away. What is going on? What is going on? Seriously, what is going on? And mind you, one street away from Big Catch and right around the corner from a brand new Marisos concept that's going to open up soon. Like what? That's what I mean. It's like around, it's like musical chairs or round robin where they're experimenting. That's the thing is like the year 2019 is like, who, who knows? <laughs> I mean, that goes for everything. Throw and stick and hope. Yeah. That, I mean, that goes for politics and I'm doing that <laughs> with my students and history. It's like, who knows what's going on? Like shit's just happening. Like it's hard to plan ahead. And even if they do market research, it, you never know until you open your doors and people actually walk That's through so the space. True. You can plan a restaurant all that you want, as much as you want. I mean, and I've opened several bars and several restaurants, and I know this for a fact, you can strategize and plan all you want, but until you have a line out the door and people are moving through that space, you have no idea how that bar or restaurant is going to operate with people inside of it. And what you need to change and what you need to alter and what you need to keep and and what what you need to take away. And what people are going to expect when they come in. One of my favorite tidbits that have ever come out of this, uh, our podcast, has been hearing Lord Windsor say... That or <laughs> Lord, his name is Lord Windsor. Lord Windsor. Windsor. But hearing him say that it said roasters on it and people were coming in like, you got chicken in here? <laughs> because that's something that as a coffee nerd, you wouldn't have thought of. Because as a coffee nerd, he's like, he probably did all his market coffee research and everything, but he didn't know that in Long Beach, people want a chicken roaster around here. And so you don't know until you open that door and you start getting those questions in. And, and, and maybe that's why people are just, they're experimenting. Hey, let's open two and let's see which one sticks. Because Long Beach is a city like New York and San Francisco. Well, and it, does, it did make me where, wonder if, because I was informed it's the same owners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a franchise and it's the same owners. And I'm wondering if they're just experimenting with location right now. Because that that corner where they're at, at Broadway and Atlantic, mm-hmm. is historically cursed. Like, yeah. it's just, 
It's for some reason, and I've been walking by there with the Crowd Shack concept, and I haven't seen the patio packed. It has a huge patio. Why? That patio should be packed on weekends. It's not. It never was with Great Society. It never was with the Peppercorner for more reasons than just yeah. its location. American Cafe prior to that, it's been like <laughs> yeah. at least seven or eight things. You know, and they've all been, I don't know if it's location. It's so I'm wondering if this is them being like, let's just see well, if another location Well, that's what historically works. does. Like when I found out that it was closing, I just walked by the other day and I saw the sign in the door and all the lights off. So I Googled like Burgering closing. Like, is this something that the company is doing in other places? And they, it looks like that's exactly what they've done. The franchise owners in different parts of the country, because I mean, they're, they're labeled as a fast growing chain as it is. So they're obviously just opening large amounts of stores, but it's not a close. These aren't closures that are happening right now. There's been closures that have just rolling closures, I guess, as they open, they figure it out a year or a year and a half in. And then they're like, oh, this isn't getting the the goal. There's not meeting our goals that we thought it would. So Burger Eam seems like one chain that's not afraid to cut their losses. You know, they're throwing- An experiment though. Yeah. They're throwing a lot of them out there in different places. And it looks like they're just, some of them are hit and some of them are missed. Like there were just three or four pages of, uh, of articles about closures. When you just look up Burger Eam closures nationwide, Interesting. Uh, yeah, okay. it's everywhere. So it's not just us. Um, but I do like the idea that like every few blocks changes in this city, right? You know that moving two or three blocks, you change your neighborhood. I Last summer, I moved five blocks away from my old apartment. And I'm totally a, different. I have a different tamaleta. I got a different, you know, trash day. I got all of it. And, and so I think that that, that the pokey cat and the crab shack kind of switcheroo speaks to that a little bit that like, okay, move it two blocks away and you'll get a totally different foot traffic crowd. And on the promenade, it's a lot slower still right now because they're still flushing that out and building out the rest of the streets. So right, it's I think it's finally beginning to click. Yeah, but I mean that took a decade. I mean it really it's been for the good part like from beginning to end right now. It's been like a decade, and it's interesting like to see what's worked and what hasn't. You know, congregation has stood its ground for damn like how long has it been open now? Uh, 10, nine years, nine years. Almost going I was reminiscing. It was uh, September of 2010 that it opened. That but, is crazy. I mean, for another example of another neighborhood, just because I'm in Santa Ana all the time, Congregation opened in downtown Santa Ana, and it's in a, in a location kind of historically cursed as well, a corner location in a, in a historic building. Did it succeed? It's. I mean, it's there, but I know that it's not, not full well. all the time. It's not doing. The, it's not doing as well as the other three locations are. And so that's another neighborhood and another downtown that's sort of people are coming in and out trying to see what works and what sticks and what do people want in downtown Santa Ana. I mean, Santa, downtown Santa Ana is really fighting for its identity right now. And I don't think it knows what identity it's fighting for. I don't think that the the old kind of Paisa Mercado, like, like a- I think the streets in downtown Long Beach is going to that. The streets is the name of the city place- Where the Walmart used to development, be. Development, where the Walmart used to be. And I think- yeah. I think they're going through the same struggle where at first it was just sign a lease, get, you know, get these new spots filled and the people will come. And I think they're realizing, oh, you, you need something more like Portuguese bend, where it's a concept that three people have worked their asses on for, for well over five years. It also resonates. to Long Beach. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so these other places that just kind of just like magically quickly appeared I mean, is is the Thick Shakes place still open? I didn't even check. No, I think it's a tea place now. No, oh, or was, was that next door? Yeah, that was next door. Oh, 
But I think the difference is that in LA right now, in the rest of Los Angeles County, uh, or in the main part of Los Angeles County, we call it like LA's Manhattan, that whole stretch above the tent when I was at the LA Weekly, we'd call it LA's Manhattan from downtown LA to Santa Monica and above the 10 freeway. No one ever moved outside those boundaries. Yeah. Well, but in the sense that those areas are so wanted and hot right now that you can drop a thick shake factory or some some concept that's been proven elsewhere into that spot and chain places and that kind of stuff. And people will come because people already are used to going to those but areas. Long Beach is inherently allergic to that bullshit. Right. They don't like, they like things that were tailored for them, which makes it more complex. Like yeah. they like the idea that someone made a concept that's unique for them. And right. I think that's why unique concepts work here so well and chains never really do well. Well, another trend that, that we've been talking about a lot is, and that it isn't a, a unique concept, but proves that you can do something that works here, but the uh, pastor, pastor Row, as we want to call it. Yeah, I, Pastor I, Row. I want to rename Anaheim to Al Pastor Street, because if you get off the 710, and I know I've mentioned it as one of my recommendations, but there's Tacos Leon right there on Daisy, and then you go a few blocks down, and it's um, Pancho's, and both have these Pastor spits that are just the trompos. Oh, they're great. They're just spinning around all night long. And uh, and then if you keep going farther down, there's even more. There's another one that's really good at Tres Hermanos, I think, on Redondo and Anaheim, just across from Bamboo Club. So uh, I know we've talked kind of before about the proliferation of taco trucks in Long Beach and how some of the legalities have been or the laws have been loosened to allow more to park in more places. But we've really seen um, seen them kind of glom around Anaheim. And uh, and it works, and but it works because it's serving the needs of the working class communities in this city. Because you, every time you go, you see people. Well, some of them are in their pajamas, which shows that they're just coming straight from home for the food and going home, which is great. Or you see people in their work clothes coming on their way home from work. Or people leaving the bars and they need food. Exactly. So it's serving a very specific need. So while, yeah, Al Pastor and a, ta- and a, a taco truck isn't a unique concept that you can't find anywhere else, it still is serving a, a need in the community that that only the people that start taco trucks would even like know exists uh, by probably by driving through the city or by hearing from friends and stuff that that live here. So that's another trend that I want to shout out to this year that's been Hell really yeah. great. Is well like, deserved too. Yeah, that we are like not at a lack of pastor, which is and great. And it's quality pastor yeah. people. Like this is some of the best, like. You get that piña on it too. Oh, that sounds so good right now. <laughs> what are some, uh, is there any other trends, anything else that we're missing? So soulmate. Which Sarah actually alerted me to, uh, Soulmate, you guys, it was the uh, Korean fusion joint that was there for a while um, on 7th near Park. Um, It's now what's called a ghost kitchen. And they have just like hearts and pizza spray painted all over its outside. And it's a pizza ghost kitchen. And what a ghost kitchen is just like a place where another business uses that kitchen to make its food and typically for delivery, right? It's almost like, like it's, a pe- one- it's almost like a food co-working space yeah. in a way, or like a contract brewery. So like Pizza Aoki's there. Do you remember any yeah, of the so others? Yeah, so there's a ton of them. It was crazy. The only reason like I- seven, right? The only reason like I that? went down a rabbit hole and I ended up not even ordering any food because I took, t- <laughs> it was like right before the end of the cutoff and I ended up going down a rabbit hole because I was like, wait, how are there s- like five pizza places all housed at this one location? And then I realized what location it was and it was the old soulmate. So I had to investigate. So I went home hungry, but, you know, more knowledgeable and all <laughs> journalism. But um, realizing that they were going to also be opening one closer to Wrigley so that they could service that area. So definitely the sole purpose is to uh, to deliver and to set it up. So with the advent, with Postmates, Grubhub, you know, et cetera, Uber Eats, all of those, there's so many apps where your food can come to you now. You don't even have to go to a location. So 
that's something very different. I mean, the, from what we've been talking about today, anyway, we're talking about restaurants uh, and physical to, places yeah, to go we, to. And we need to have a whole podcast about delivery and its impact on food culture because it is- Power ranking delivery services. Well, it, it, but it is the most significant alteration totally. in every city's food scene is the overwhelming amount of food that is now delivered. And we could talk about all the places that exist solely because of those of those apps, because there's sometimes I go in, like the Nile Cafe up on Anaheim, where I go in there and it's totally empty, but there's lots, like I've sat there and eaten a meal before, which puts me in the minority, because I, as I'm there, it's all these drivers coming in and picking up to-go orders. Um, the Corner 10th on Temple in Anaheim okay. is another, um, or sorry, 10th, it's on Corner 10th, duh, it's on 10th, <laughs> and, um, and Temple as well. Uh, that's another place. I went in there to sit down once. And it's like a water filler liquor store that just does takeout. Like he wasn't even, he didn't even have like a chair for the table. He's like, what, you want to eat here? <laughs> I was like, yeah, is this not a place to eat? But it's all, it's all ordered um, through the app. So this one ghost kitchen, um, and I think the name, the official name of the company is Ghost Kitchen. And it was, and Steve Aoki um, invested in it because for his Pizza Aoki concept. So if there's a ghost kitchen in your city, Pizza Aoki is like the anchor for it. And then what they've done here, I don't know if they've done it in multiple other cities, but the one at Soulmate right now is operating four or five different pizza places. So you have Pizza Aoki, which has its own brand. And then if you're swiping through pizza, like just do it on your Uber Eats app or Postmates or whatever you use and just select pizza. And you'll notice that there's um, a new Chicago pizza place. There's an Italian pizza place. Um, there's a, like kind of Biggie's style Italian pizza. And then there's a New York style pizza place that's serving New York slices. So that's four, right? So you have four places Crazy. with four different kinds of pizza. So you kind of like pick your pizza style, but they're being, and they're all being made supposedly like you're paying a different business for each one because they all have, they're branded, right? The New exactly. York, the New York one's like a fake raise or whatever. And the, yeah, and the Chicago forget one. Forget about forget it. Forget about it. Eat the New York and yeah, that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, it was interesting to see that and that, but they're all being made at the same place, probably by the same person. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe we can convince our visuals editor to go in there and do a video, like a day, like a night. Right? I just want to get connected. I want to know it's like, how want, does it formally work? Yeah. I want to know it, a night the in the life making of, all these different pizzas. Is it multiple people? Right. Are they associated with the brand of pizza? Not, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. So that's something, I mean, maybe a little foresight for 2020. I oh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking about Ooh, it. And just delivery in general. Why don't we do that? How about instead of our recommendations from the past, let's look out into the future. Ooh. Ooh. We're making this up on the spot, y'all. It's good. Because uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to be taking a break for the holidays. So we're trying to think of how can we like recap what, what we've got from 2019 and how do we look forward into 2020? So well, I don't know, what's kind of an anticipated opening that you're looking forward to, something that you're really looking forward to in 2020? I'm definitely excited about Jason Witzel's Lupe's. I think Marisco's would be a good concept. If there's something I'm excited about that isn't confirmed yet, <laughs> I would love some decent Chinese, a dim sum or just you know, mm -hmm. Nomad is my go-to. Yeah, and, that's Yang, the, and Yang Chow is not the, it doesn't even, it's not even the original Yang Chow. No, it's, it's just bowls. It's, yeah. I thought it was going to be like a full Yang Chow, which would have been right. amazing. Might have filled the gap. You know, um, but when we have no dim sum, we have no Ethiopian. There's definitely some holes that could be filled that would be really cool. Well, um, be careful what you ask for because we were, <laughs> we were talking about this that like, we, be we were begging for ramen like two or three years ago and now, or well, maybe three or four of, years ago. A lot of ramen. Yeah. Now we're like, okay, we have ramen. We cool. have enough. It's Please cool. Stop. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Just leave Hironori on your way out. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> what are you looking forward to? Oh, I don't even know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not as up on it. I'm looking forward to more things coming to me, so that I have to <laughs> don't have to go out as See, much. See, I'm telling you, this delivery thing. Like, I really. I it was does. talking with Lewis from um, Lola Socialist Portuguese Band. A quarter of their sales. Wow. Over a quarter of their sales are now delivery. This would be, I mean, we it's should just shift. do a bigger story. It's Forget a, an episode. Yeah, like it's a huge shift in, yeah. in in the entire industry right now where if you're not on those apps, like you're you're losing a lot of money. Yeah. Um, because so many people now, yeah, just want the delivery. Well, I guess I'm, this sounds weird, but as I haven't been writing as much, uh, I am really looking forward to cooking more at home. That's like a lame yeah. thing to say as we talk about restaurants and stuff. No, it's but not. I, we need to do more home cooking stuff. I need to because I was a latchkey kid. So I grew up literally adding hot water to everything and making food out of like, you know, oatmeal. <laughs> instant food. Yes. Instant oatmeal, um, macaroni and cheese boxes, uh, top ramen. That Those are those were my staple three main food groups as a child. I'm like made of those things. And LAUSD breakfast burritos <laughs> with the whatever your free lunch got you. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really grow up in a in a super cooking household, which I I, f- I feel like I lacked. And that makes me sad now because I'm trying to figure it out and like not burn the cookies every time, which I s- s- tend to do. So I've been kind of experimenting, especially in the wintertime. It keeps you inside for dinners. And I've been trying to do that more, especially because I don't want to – there isn't anything across the street from, from my school to eat. It's like, do I want Chipotle or Taco Bell? So I've been trying to take more food to work. So that's really uh, – that's something that we've talked about too about the grocery stores in Long Beach and whether you go to Northgate or Top Value, value as I call it, Value. Uh, or Superior, or do you just bite the bullet and go to Mother's or Whole Foods for certain things? So I've been kind of experimenting with different uh, supermarkets and what do they have. And uh, yeah, I'm starting with the pre-batch stuff. I'm kind of mad that I have to go. That we would didn't be even, a really great guide, by the way. We didn't even talk about second and PCH, but um, cause, just because we'll it's fresh. Later. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now it's interesting. I still do want to do bar- uh, Border Grill barbecue, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should see if we can get them on. That'd be nice. But yeah, now now I'm not so keen on Whole Foods because I don't like having to like get a ticket, like a parking ticket and go to the mall to go get my groceries. So mm-hmm. I've been going back to uh, specifically like the last few weeks, I've been going to the North Gate across the street from my school in Santa Ana because it's one of the original ones. So it still is like a really small kind of um, a little like more intimate. Yeah. It feels like the La Bodega on Anaheim um, in Love Cambodia <laughs> town. Yeah. It's really, it's tiny and it's kind of old school. It's crowded as hell, but um, yeah, I've been going there a lot lately. So I don't know what's, what to anticipate for, uh, for 2020. I asked the question. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else is. Oh, we didn't even talk about fourth. The fourth and olive is empty. And coming with a hard rock cafe 2020. Is baby. it? That's what the guy wants to do. That's the concept. You know what I'm. You know what I'm looking forward Did to. Did you not read it? Oh no. God, you gotta read it. I'm looking forward to more of this like battle royale between like people that have money to blow on their concepts to come in and the locals that are getting their chance to open their things for the first time. I think that 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 dichotomy. And I have a whole folder. That juxtaposition is I have just a whole folder on my phone of photographs that I'm calling dichotomies, and it's like photos of old, old and new Long Beach, like up against each other, kind of like in the same frame. I mean, if anything, that's kind of what start, what has after our conversation. I'm realizing it really has been 2019 has been defined by that dichotomy by these hundred. I mean, at one hand you have 101 dollar gold crusted acai bowls, and you have Pastor on the street, right, on Anaheim. 
or even Chinitos Tacos for another exactly. example. So I'm looking forward to more of that because like La Frida next to the next to Stash, Jason Keem just painted the inside and that's so gonna excited. be right. Chef and so Melissa, that's, shout out. So that's gonna be opening with just like simple food. Um and I know we have some other concepts coming online. You just mentioned um what's going into the old fourth and olive, because fourth and olive, my former dispensary, is <laughs> which turned into a fancy uh, East Franco German restaurant. It's a, total, it's a total Gen Xer. He literally talks about like he vi- he makes sure to vi- he makes sure to visit the hard rock cafes around the world. And when you're going to a hard rock cafe, you know the food's going to be really good. So I would love to see that open two blocks from you know chili cheese dogs in a Jason Keem painted. Right place that still has the La Frida sign up. I don't even think they're going to change the sign. Oh, I don't that's even, awesome. I, I love. Those I don't even know what places. they're going to call it. Never change the sign. Oh well, that goes for like Ruffalo's. Like well, and on the bar side, we didn't even we didn't talk too much about drinks or or oh, no, beer. That's a whole other episode too. Right, but and but as far as a shout out of some of a place opening, um, uh, Bar Yasabes uh, just opened maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Like yeah, I went kind I of their supposed, opening night. I was supposed to meet up with him, but some well, that family, place is great, and family it used, emergencies. And again, another um, like uh, locals. It's owned by the owners of Fourth Street Vine, who also are one of the investors in Bamboo Club. So they just opened Bar Yasabes on Anaheim in uh, just east of Cambodia town. And it's in an old uh, and a former Cambodian tailor shop, I think. And they got the permit and turned it into a bar. Yeah, the interior is rad. No sign out front. Also, um, the Grasshopper is another bar that just opened in place of the Fiesta Bar uh, on Anaheim and, and Long Beach Boulevard. there's a bar replacing Blacklight Lounge District or whatever, the Blacklight. Remember the Blacklight District yeah. or whatever? There's a bar opening in that too. Yeah. So seeing these, and, and again, those are local owners that have a reputation here and they're opening their bars. So seeing them kind of going head to head with maybe another LA owner wants to open a second location of their bar and they think Long Beach is the perfect spot and the price is right and everybody will come. I, I just kind of want to, I, I like to see what Long Beach is is ready for and what they like and what what will survive. So I'm looking for what we will re-listen to this episode this time next year and we'll uh, we'll see what actually opened and what closed in that time. That's gonna be cool actually. <laughs> All right. Happy holidays everyone. Happy eat, holidays. Eat some good grub. Have a great new year and we'll see you on the other side of 2020. Until we eat again, Long Beach. <laughs> it's the end of the decade. It's the end of an era. Damn, we didn't even talk about like 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> it's the for, end of the decade. We did for one second with Congregation. We just recorded but... a whole show and didn't realize we were talking about the end of a decade, Thank y'all. you for listening to another episode of Supper Time in the LBC. Thanks for trusting Brian and I to lead you on this culinary journey. We've been reading your comments and seeing your ratings, and we are very thankful for uh, all of the positive words. We think you are friends, too. We wish we could meet you in person and have a beer or a meal with you. And we're looking forward to doing that in 2020. So keep on subscribing and uh, anywhere that you get podcasts to your ears, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, et cetera, et cetera, all the apps. (laughs) And thank you again for listening to us. And thanks for the Long Beach Post for allowing us to do all of our rambling goodness. If you like what we do, and you'd like to support and you need to spend some more money before the end of the year, please go to lbpost.com slash support. We would really appreciate it. It would help us get to our goal of buying one gold flake encrusted salmon burger (laughs) to share. We're hoping to get there and you can help. All right. Until we eat again, guys. Bye.